Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. Joining me as always tonight is Mike McDaniel. Mike, I think I pissed off some Clemson fans on Twitter on Friday. Yeah, I know. So their team's good, and they're still getting finding a way to be pissed off. So surprise, surprise. You ever uh, you ever get into some of those Twitter flame wars? Yeah. So actually, this afternoon the AP Top Twenty Five poll comes out. So we have four teams in the AP Top Twenty Five, Joey, and then two out of the top four teams. Of course, Clemson coming in at two, Florida State at four, and then Louisville and North Carolina later on in the top twenty-five. But I basically put out on Twitter that. Um, I thought that Stanford was overrated uh, coming in as a top 10 team in the country, and I had a hard-o Stanford fan come after me saying, oh, you know, well, we have a first-time quarterback, but it's not a big deal. A lot of first-time quarterbacks had won, uh, have won national championships in their first year at the helm. And then he went on to name, like, three or four Alabama quarterbacks, conveniently forgetting that they had one of the best power running backs in the country on their team, a la Trent Richardson, uh, Mark Ingram, Derrick Henry. I mean, he started naming, like, Jake Coker. He named McElroy. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, give me a break. So, yeah, you have the Hardo fans come after you every now and then, but um, you can't say anything controversial these days. Twitter was the birthplace of all logical arguments, I believe. Um, so, yeah, so it was on Friday afternoon, um, and somebody was saying people don't give Dabo Swinney enough credit as a coach. I said I will never give Dabo Swinney enough credit as a coach, and... What I meant by that was, personally, I think Dabo Swinney is a great head coach. I think he recruits extremely well. I think that he hires fantastic assistants. And I think that more than anybody else, he understands his strengths and his limitations, and he hires people around him to fill in for that. I would never hire Dabo Swinney to be my offensive coordinator. And, and And why would you? So he assembles great assistant coaches, but... He just runs the show and recruits well, Joey. I mean, I think that can be said for a lot of head coaches around the country. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't mean you're a bad head coach. But if you want him going out and teaching your guys, like, technique and things of that nature, I, I don't think it's offensive to just say, yeah, you know, I would prefer some coordinators or some other assistant coaches over maybe the head coach to fulfill that role. I mean, take take Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech, for example, Joey. Do you want Paul Johnson coaching your quarterbacks? Uh... Right. Tough question. So, yeah, right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, anyway. Um, no, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with throwing that out there on Twitter. A lot of people do get irritated about that, though. Well, and here's my thing was that how many how many head coaches out there do you know that are tied to, like, one side of the football? Especially in, in college football, you've got Nick Saban's defense. You've got Gus Malzahn's offense. You've got Kevin Sutherland's offense. You've got uh, Larry Fedora's offense in North Carolina. I mean, basically, you know, these head coaches are – known that they bring some sort of system with them. Debo Sweeney did not bring any sort of system with him to Clemson. I mean, he's constantly, you know, it's it's been Chad Morris's offense, Kevin Steele's defense, Brent Venable's defense, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody's ever mistaken uh, Debo Sweeney as, like, the, the mastermind behind any sort of system that they're running on either side of the ball. And so that's what I'm saying is that when I think of coaching, 
I think of somebody that's going to go out there and call plays and correct technique and do all this, not somebody who's necessarily doing the recruiting. Now, in the sense of college football being a head coach and doing the recruiting and putting together a great staff, again, I think Dabo Swinney is about as good as you're going to find in the country right now. And especially when it comes to somebody who doesn't let their ego get in the way, I think that that is about as good as anybody you're going to find as far as what Dabo Swinney does. It's just that I would not trust him to get up on a whiteboard and drop X's and O's that would blow anybody's mind. That's why Clemson fans, stop being butthurt. You were the ACC champion last year. You were the NCAA runner-up for the national championship against Alabama. You have the best quarterback in the country on your roster. Chill out. Love you, Clemson fans. <laughs> I've always felt yeah. We'll be we'll, we'll be we'll be conversing all year. You know. I've always felt weird about this Georgia Tech Clemson rivalries. It's like one of the friendliest rivalries I've ever been a part of, because there's never really any hostility that I've experienced. It's always just like, oh, your team won. Come eat some brisket. Whatever. Like it's cool. Um, you know these pregame and postgame tailgates. Nobody really cares. So, Clemson fans, nothing but love. Don't worry about it. We're cool. Yeah, it'll, it'll all work out, Joey. So, I mean, you can say some controversial stuff, get in arguments with the butthurt fans on Twitter, but at the end of the day, you'll still share a beer with them and have a hot dog at the end of the day. Well, and most importantly, we're getting close to the season when we're actually going to be able to settle some of this stuff on the field. And so I think that's where we need to go first here, Mike, is we got quite a few bits of news as we have teams closing up camp and moving towards the season. The first one that was a big, I guess, group of news that dropped this weekend Came out of Notre Dame, came out of South Bend, Indiana. Uh, the There was some news regarding the quarterback situation, but I think probably the most pressing piece that we need to talk about is there was a lot of player discipline that happened this weekend. Notre Dame had six separate players inter- uh, arrested in three and two separate incidents, sorry. Uh, and that includes several kind of high-end uh senior players and this is not the kind of distractions that you want in your locker room within just a couple weeks of the season starting yeah joey i agree and i think this is as good a time as any to introduce one of our many segments that we're going to have on the podcast this year our go acc moment of the week congratulations notre dame you are the recipients and i I say recipients because there are six of you that are that are winners of the go acc uh moment of the week Max Redfield, starting free safety. You, sir, are an idiot. Um, you were arrested along with running back Dexter Williams, linebacker Tavon Cooney, wide receiver Kevin Stifferson Jr., and cornerback Ashton White on charges of misdemeanor marijuana and uh, having a handgun without a license. You guys are a bunch of idiots. Brian Kelly also thinks so. Max Redfield, you've been dismissed from the team, um, leaving a massive hole in the back of Notre Dame secondary. I would feel worse about it, but there were times last year when I felt better when Redfield wasn't on the field. Um, he was that kind of player, kind of your Josh Harvey Clemens uh, for those Louisville fans and for you, Joey, as well. Um, another guy that I have to touch on here is um, is our boy Butler uh, for Notre Dame as well, the cornerback. He's out as well. He was going to miss the first part of the season uh, due to a broken foot. And Devin Butler, congratulations. Um, You were also arrested on charges of uh, resisting arrest and battery on a police officer, one of which could potentially carry a felony charge. If you're convicted, you're not only dismissed from the Notre Dame football team, but you're kicked out of South Bend, kicked out of the school. Um, That happened outside of a bar downtown there um, in South Bend, which is not a large area, but 
Um, I guess he had a little bit too much to drink and got in a wrestling match with a police officer, which is not what you want to do. Uh, he was another starter for Notre Dame that um, was likely going to be out about the first month of the season after recovering from off-season foot surgery. But he's been suspended indefinitely while the situation there um, kind of unfolds uh, as far as his legal, uh, the whole legal proceedings go. Um, but he's going to be out for a while regardless due to injury. And he's suspended as well. So Brian Kelly dropping the hammer, and I, I guess why shouldn't he? Um, we've seen a lot of programs across the country, notably Alabama has had issues here within the past couple months with um, some off-the-field issues with their football program, and Nick Saban's been under fire for his lack of disciplinary action. Brian Kelly um, left no stone unturned on this one, uh, of course dismissing Max Redfield already and suspending Devin Butler indefinitely. So not a good Friday night into early Saturday morning for the Notre Dame football team with all this happening within a two- or three-hour stretch there in South Bend. And, Mike, I think that's one of the craziest things to – to think about about this whole situation is that Notre Dame's had a relatively quiet offseason as far as weird occurrences like this. And then all of a sudden you have six players arrested within two hours on a Friday night up in South Bend after the start of camp and all this. And just a couple of weeks before the season starts. I mean, this is kind of a weird and crazy occurrence. Uh, I, I just, nobody could have seen this coming obviously. And it's, it's just a, it's a weird sort of thing to happen in this this time frame, and it's not a good thing for Notre Dame, a, a team that is currently about to go through a, what looks like it might be a little bit of a contra, uh, quarterback controversy, to also have this kind of uh, this kind of distraction going on for the rest of its team. Yeah. So Mike Denbrock and Brian Kelly, that was a good segue, Joey. Um, announced thank you, thank that. You. Yeah, announced that Deshaun Kaiser, of course, the sophomore, will be entering the season in a. Uh, dead heat at quarterback, along with Malik Zaire, um, entering the Texas game, of course. One of the biggest games of the year for Notre Dame, I think, heading into that game on the road um, in Texas. Now, I think with Notre Dame's situation, obviously Zaire and Deshaun Kaiser are both, um, you know, if both healthy and both able to contribute, are two of the best quarterbacks and, and two of the best players on the Notre Dame roster, so it's not a huge deal. Um that the Fighting Irish are entering with both those quarterbacks potentially seeing a lot of playing time, but it'll be interesting to see how Brian Kelly kind of divvies that up. Uh, it's often been said that if you have two quarterbacks, um, you don't have one quarterback. Um, that's kind of been the mantra there, not only for Notre Dame, but in a majority of other places as well. But Brian Kelly said that Zaire and Deshaun Kaiser were unable um, to kind of separate themselves in camp. They were both playing so well, so it seems like they will both be seeing some playing time here um, heading into the fall in South Bend. I'm sorry, Mike, but I cannot get away from the feeling right now that I've seen this movie before. Is this not the exact same thing that happened up in Columbus, Ohio, this time last year? Was Urban Meyer came out and said, JT Barrett, Cardale Jones, they're both going to play. And then it was about, I don't know, a month and a half into the season before they resolved the complete mess that was this dual quarterback situation. I mean, this... This feels like a terrible idea, and it feels like something that we have seen, tried before, and that it never works, and yet, Brian Kelly looks at the situation and thinks, yeah, I don't know, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, we got this. No, definitely, and and you saw what happened, ended up happening at Ohio State, they were kind of sputtering a little bit, they were trying to figure out who their quarterback was going to be, the offense never really seemed to be clicking all year long, and... They kept kind of going back and forth. They finally, of course, decided that JT Barrett was going to be the guy, and Cardell Jones kind of took a seat to his side. And 
um, ultimately killed Cardell Jones' draft stock long term because I think if he came out after his national championship run of what was it four or five games that he played two years ago, um, Ohio State ended up going on and winning the national championship, of course. And Cardell Jones' stock had never been higher, and then he entered last season kind of in a quarterback battle with J.T. Barrett, who, of course, was great for Ohio State two years ago, um, and then, of course, played well towards the end of last season. But I think the fact that he, you know, Cardell Jones, was unable to separate himself from J.T. Barrett really ended up hurting his draft stock, and we saw him drafted late in the NFL draft. The only case in which I can remember something like this kind of working was maybe Tim Tebow's freshman year at Florida, when I believe it was Chris Leak was still the, the full-time starter at quarterback, but they would bring in Tim Tebow to be the short yardage, like, goal line quarterback because Tebow was a big boy. I mean, he was about, I don't know, 6'2", 230, something like that, and he could kind of plow his way through the line and get those short yardage uh, touchdowns. And so unless you have something that's really, like, kind of specialty made up like that, I, I don't know how this works because these guys have – reasonably similar skill sets i mean reasonably athletic good passers and such and so if anything kind of introducing this parody of switching back and forth between quarterbacks seems like it's just going to create a lot of confusion or you know throwing people off on rhythm and it's, it's not going to do any more good things for your offense than it's going to do bad things so this just seems like a little bit of a a suspicious kind of choice by brian kelly here definitely the one thing i guess to look at if you're going to separate between Kaiser and Malik Zaire. In fact, Malik Zaire um, can run a little bit more than Kaiser, but I think what we saw out of Kaiser last year is he's not afraid to tuck the ball and run as well. So I don't think it's this huge discrepancy where, you know, they both have two completely diff different skill sets. I mean, I think you kind of hit the hammer on the head there when you were saying, yeah, you know, this is a situation where they're both pretty similar. Um, I mean, one's a righty and one's a lefty. But outside of that, like, they, they both have the similar – you know, they want to pass first, but I guess Zaire is a little bit better runner. Um, but Kaiser can run as well, so I don't think it's enough to really separate them, and I don't think Brian Kelly thought that either, and that's why they're both going to end up playing against Texas in Week 1. Yeah, and I think that we need to probably move on from this situation. So so a lot of unrest up in Notre Dame, but there's another kind of weird situation unfolding that we need to follow up on from last week. So last week we talked about a quarterback situation elsewhere, another high-profile program, that's at Florida State. So it came out that Florida State's quarterback, senior Sean McGuire, came out with an ankle injury. He was going to miss a certain first few weeks of the season, if not a month or more. And so it looked like uh, DeAndre Francois, the French phenom, was going to be the starter at Florida State at quarterback. Now, in the last week, it comes out that presumed backup quarterback and main competition to Francois, Malik Henry, he's been suspended uh, has violated team rules, and he will miss the opener against Ole Miss. And so now, Mike, it looks a hell of a lot like a sink or swim kind of situation down in Tallahassee of either Francois works or he really doesn't. Yeah, and they don't really have anybody else to turn to. So McGuire, of course, has the foot surgery. Um, DeAndre Francois, he steps in. He's going to be a starting quarterback. But it's really interesting because now with this Malik Henry situation, violation of team rules, whatever it actually ends up being, um, we're going to have to actually see what's going on there um, down the line. The only other scholarship quarterback on their team right now is J.J. Constantino, who has little to no playing experience. So, God forbid something happens to DeAndre Francois against Ole Miss, who are they going to go to at quarterback? Is it going to be Constantino? They have a couple of uh, younger walk-ons that were actually getting some more playing time over Malik Henry in practice. 
I mean, Henry has really fallen out of favor with the coaching staff. Um, our buddy Bud Norris over at SB Nation's you know, at Tomahawk Nation for the SB Nation Network uh, for Florida State was talking about Malik Henry had kind of fallen out of favor with the coaching staff, kind of came in underweight to camp, which is very weird. You think the the more likely scenario is to come in overweight, but as a quarterback, he's not playing to his weight um, in, in camp. He's struggling with some maturity issues. Um, was often third or fourth string in the practice reps, so it's really gone off the rails for uh, Malik Henry, suspended for violation of team rules, which could mean any number of things. Um, that really just means that the coaching staff doesn't want to release what he actually did. But it's an indefinite suspension. It's going to be interesting to see how long it actually takes for him um, to get back in favor with the coaching staff and get himself back out on the playing field. But wasn't sure Malik Henry was really going to play that much anyway. Um, Likely going to be a redshirt year for him, um, but I think now it's pretty much set in stone with his suspension that he's definitely a redshirt candidate anyway, but I think even more so now. But it's just going to be interesting uh, with McGuire on the shelf and uh, no DeAndre. You know, if DeAndre, DeAndre Francois gets hurt, the redshirt freshman quarterback that everybody's expecting to be really good, where does Florida State turn? And that can really um, put the season off the rails pretty quickly, especially if they don't have a solution to that potential problem down the line. I think if you're a Florida State fan, the biggest thing that this does is it probably just increases your anxiety level about the incoming Florida State situation. Is Obviously, there's no McGuire. We knew that already. But replacing him was going to be DeAndre Francois, which is a little bit of an unknown quantity. As much as he comes with a bit of a you know, a, a great billing, so to speak, uh, a great passer, you know, can, can also run at times. He's also a bit of an unknown quantity in the sense that you don't know what you're going to get from him. He has never played at this level. He redshirted last year as a true freshman. And so as much as, you know, a couple of years ago you saw from Jameis Winston, he came in and as a redshirt freshman, he won the Heisman Trophy. Well, what if, I mean, you, you can't guarantee that any redshirt freshman is going to work out. And so what if Francois doesn't work out? Well, now the life vest is gone. I mean, you have no, no other real good options other than, you know, Mr. Constantino behind him. And that's, doesn't seem like a particularly confidence-inspiring option for a team that aspires to to win the conference and potentially go to the playoffs. And so if you're a Florida State fan right now, you had better hope that DeAndre Francois works out at quarterback. Otherwise, it might be a little bit of a long month of September. No doubt. So we're just going to have to see uh, as far as the Florida State situation is concerned, obviously entering the season as an AP preseason top five team. We're just going to hope that Francois stays healthy or else Florida State's going to be a very interesting scenario if Malik Henry is still on the shelf due to suspension. Mike, we record Sunday evening, August 21st. We are 15 days away from Florida State taking on Ole Miss in their opening weekend, which they lost a lot on that defense, but who boy, you better, better hope that DeAndre Francois comes to play that game because that is a very losable game. Yep, buckle up in Tallahassee you guys got a lot of talent it's not going to be as easy as some may think it, it would have potentially been um, if you had veteran quarterback Sean McGuire in the game but even if Francois plays well I mean this is going to be a battle with Ole Miss that's that's kind of what it looks like uh, so we've got another bit of news coming more from your your neck of the woods and I guess surprising kind of in its own way is that the University of Virginia, first year under Bronco Mendenhall, has kind of made this, made a bit of a change at starting quarterback, Mike. This is this is a bit of a strange, maybe, look, but very well may work out for all we know. 
Yeah, so multiple different um, avenues here, uh, multiple different newspapers and publications are reporting that Virginia will name East Carolina transfer Kurt Benkert their starting quarterback as early as Tuesday. Um, it hasn't been official yet, but all signs are pointing that Benkert, the transfer from East Carolina, will be the starting quarterback. Really interesting there um, that he's going to unseat Matt Johns, who's the veteran quarterback there entering his senior season. Um, Johns was good enough last year. I guess the one thing you can point to is the lack of arm strength, the fact that he threw a few too many interceptions, but he wasn't unplayable by any stretch of the imagination. So either one of two things happened. Either Matt Johns came in and just was pretty unimpressive in camp, or Kurt Benker came in and he's been really good. Um, and it could have been a combination of those things, but it's really interesting. New coaching staff, new regime, and now it's looking like a new quarterback. Um, Kurt Benkert becoming the starting quarterback at the University of Virginia. Now, how well does this bode for this offense? I mean, only time will tell, right? But it's going to be a different-looking offense under Bronco Mendenhall anyway, and now even more so with Kurt Benkert now at the helm. And I think the, the surprising part isn't so much that Matt Johns was so good. Like you mentioned, I mean, he threw 17 interceptions last year as a, as a junior. He's coming into a senior season. He's got a, a year of full starting experience plus another about half of a year in 2014 where he was the starter or the primary quarterback for Virginia. So the thing is, it isn't so much that he was that good so much as to see a guy unseated as starting quarterback going into his senior year seems pretty exceedingly rare given that he had about a year and a half of starting experience going in and so kind of curious to find out what what the thinking is for Bronco Mendenhall and that coaching staff of why is Kurt Benkert a better option at quarterback at Virginia versus a Matt Johns who who knew a little bit more about his teammates and kind of what what he had to work with around him coming into this year. Yeah, I mean, I guess the one thing to consider is the fact that it's going to be a new offense, so you may as well start new with quarterback as well. Um, but, you know, I don't know how much of the Virginia offense will be different compared to Mike London. I mean, it will be a different-looking offense as far as more from a power-running standpoint, which BYU love to do with Bronco Mendenhall. But, you know, I don't know that necessarily unseating Matt Johns does anything for you you know, more in the positive scheme of things versus the negative scheme. I mean, I, I don't think there's any, you, you know, I'm not sure what you're gaining by starting Kurt Benkert over Matt Johns. I mean, I think it's really a lateral move, but only time will tell. I mean, we haven't seen a lot of Kurt Benkert as a starting quarterback. I mean, he played a little bit East Carolina, um, but not a ton, and he comes in now to Virginia, and he wins a starting quarterback job with a new coaching staff, and that's what you got to do if you're a new guy on campus. you got to come in, and especially with a new coaching staff, it makes it an even more likely scenario that you'll come in and be the guy. So very interesting that they're changing not only the offense, but they're changing the quarterback. And, you know, it's pretty disappointing for Matt Johns, who, look, you know, unseated Grayson Lambert two years ago uh, coming in, and they kind of split time, and then Matt Johns ended up being the quarterback and forced Grayson Lambert's departure to Georgia. And now the same thing is kind of happening to Matt Johns, and it's kind of lousy for him that coming into his senior year he won't be the starting starting man at Virginia, but he did struggle with the turnover bug last year. That could be a reason for the switch, and who's to say that he's not necessarily going to play a role in the quarterback position down the line. Um, we'll, we'll just have to see how well Kurt Benkert plays, but I don't think it's going to be a situation Bronco Mendenhall will be afraid to reach out and, and go back to Matt Johns. 
And Mike, I'm on the record on this podcast as saying I think that this is a year where Virginia is really going to struggle identity-wise on offense. If you look at what Bronco Mendenhall's offenses did at BYU, it was very much a, a power-rushing attack, You know, having big offensive linemen that could push back any sort of defensive line they came up against, a lot of very physical play. And I just don't think that Virginia is built to play that way this year. I think that he could very easily institute that style of play at UVA and eventually have that team to where that's what their bread and butter is. But I just don't think that is this year. And so if Virginia starts to struggle on offense, I just – I would hate to start to blame Kurt Benkert of, of all people is like, I, I don't think that the problem would be his as much as it would be trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. I, I mean, if Virginia's going to struggle, I think it will be identity wise. Um, you know, the only way I really see Matt Johns figuring into this thing now with Kurt Benkert looking like he's going to be named the starter is if Benkert throws a bunch of picks, right. Um, or gets injured obviously, but you know, if he throws a bunch of picks, fumbles, struggles with turnovers, makes the wrong decisions. But if he was doing all that, he probably wouldn't be the starting quarterback in the first place. Uh, so there's a reason why they're going to Benkert. It'll be interesting to see this week why Bronco Mendenhall, or the reasons Bronco Mendenhall gives for going to Benkert over Matt Johnson. We'll see what happens up in Charlottesville, Mike. We got one last piece of, no- of uh, knowledge. One last piece of news. <laughs> one last piece of knowledge. Hey, we are probably. educating folks, Mike. Uh <laughs> got one more piece of news that came down this is from your neck of the woods and so i'll let you address it is the the quarterback situation up in blacksburg i was gonna say this one last piece of knowledge it's gonna be a very long podcast here for the last hour or so um josh jackson he is a true freshman quarterback out of saline michigan um he is now right in the thick of things in the quarterback race for virginia tech so to refresh everybody's memory there's um, senior Brendan Motley, redshirt senior Brendan Motley, who played a lot last year while Michael Brewer was injured uh, for the Hokies. And there's also Gerard Evans, who transferred in uh, from a community college in Texas where he had a very successful, um, you know, you know, pre-Division one career. And now he's coming into Virginia Tech, and he's right in the thick of things. And now, of course, there's Josh Jackson, the true freshman. What do we know about Josh Jackson? Well, he was a three-star recruit, um, so he wasn't real highly touted, but he had legitimate offers from a bunch of Division One schools. Um, Baylor was one interesting offer they had. Um, so, so he's not short on talent, that's for sure. Um, a guy that can run and throw, which I guess if you're being recruited by Baylor um, under the Art, old Art Bryles regime, that's what you have to do. Um, it, it's very interesting that Jackson, as a true freshman, has played well enough and earned the respect of the players enough in camp to be right in the thick of things for the quarterback job. But... You know, with the new coaching staff, I guess we can't be surprised about anything, especially what happened at UVA with Benkert. So, interesting to note here, Josh Jackson, it's still, you know, two weeks away from the opener. We're expecting to hear something from Justin Fuente here within the next week or so, um, because, let's face it, next week they'll be game planning for Liberty for September 3rd. I mean, we're very close to the season now, so, you know, we'll keep you posted here, but it looks like Virginia Tech Instead of a two-man quarterback race with the two older guys, it looks like the young, the young gun there, Josh Jackson, uh, may have more of a hand in this thing than we originally thought. So uh, very interesting news out of Blacksburg. I'll tell you too, Mike, what's really interesting about this is Jackson seems to be a little more of a, a mobile kind of run-first kind of guy to me. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're right. So 
Fuente's time, the last three years, has been spent at Memphis as the head coach, and his whole time, basically, the primary quarterback is in Paxton Lynch. He's a little more of a stand-up, kind of gunslinger, not going to really move out of the pocket a whole bunch, kind of passer. And so we haven't seen him a ton trying to run an offense with a particularly mobile quarterback until you go back to his final year at TCU in 2012, when he was the head coach, or not the head coach, he was the offensive coordinator of an offense that was led by one Trevon Boykin, uh, a little bit as between him and Casey Pawhall, I guess you could say. But oh god! <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of quarterbacks who've gone off the rails, yeah, I, I would say that uh, Mr. Fuente was probably happy to to work with Javon Boykin a little more than Casey Pawhall. But Boykin is a true freshman there in in Fort Worth under T- at TCU. 127 attempts for 417 yards and three touchdowns. So this is a guy, this is the type of quarterback that uh, Fuente is familiar with working with and something that will probably add a little bit of an extra dimension to the offense that we've seen at Memphis the last few years that translates to Virginia Tech. And so I think this is an interesting kind of move where you've got guys that have a certain skill set up in Blacksburg and yet uh, – I think you might see something a little different from this offense at Virginia Tech than what we've seen in Memphis the last few years. It's going to be a run-first offense and one that opens up with the pass game. Um, And that's how it should be in college football anyway with a lot of these spread systems. But I think Justin Fuente has really hammered that home at Virginia Tech. Um, You pass the ball to score, but you run the ball to win. He said that multiple times. Um, Said at the ACC media days. Uh, he said it multiple times since then. Uh, he really believes in the running game. They got a great running back, obviously, in Trayvon McMillan. They're going to lean on. He's going to want to run the quarterback a little bit as well, it seems like. So it's going to be a little bit different um, scheme-wise, but I think he's really going to lean on the running the running game because I think he has quarterbacks and running backs that can really handle the load. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of sets they come in, especially against Liberty on September 3rd before facing off against Tennessee a week later in a game that – a lot of people, at least here in Virginia and Tennessee and the surrounding states, are really looking forward to uh, one of the biggest college football games ever, popular, you know, as far as attendance-wise, um, there at the Bristol Motor Speedway. But it's going to be a huge game for Virginia Tech either way, so hopefully they'll be able to settle on a starting quarterback by then and kind of roll what they got. As far as long-term regime changes go, it sounds like there's a lot to be excited about in Blacksburg. Um, a lot of folks who are very excited about the Fuente hire and what that brings to the table as far as the you know, the near future for Virginia Tech. But, Mike, I think we need to move on, and let's go into – we've got a few listener questions before we get really really into the meat of the discussion we plan on having tonight. So we've got a few questions here. Once again, all they come from uh, the the readers at FromTheRumbleSeat.com, the Espionation blog, which I cover Georgia Tech for. But we want to emphasize that if you are listening to this podcast and you're a Boston College fan, you're a Miami fan, you're an NC State fan, etc. I mean, your your questions are more than welcome. And so please, please hit us on Twitter. My name on Twitter is at FTRS Joey. His is at Mike McDaniel ACC. Together we're at BC Podcast ACC. And you can hit us on email at basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Please send us in your questions. These can be football related or otherwise as you're going to see here in this segment. But, Mike, we have a few questions from our our listeners, not our readers. We will make that clear. Um, Another week down, Joey, right? We've nailed it now two weeks in a row. Hey, we got a combo going, and there's maybe a multiplier, et cetera. We'll see how that affects things. Um, 
Okay, so first question. This comes from user Uncivil Engineer, which standing right there with you, man. Um, <laughs> all right. What's going to be the most exciting ACC matchup that is not Clemson against Florida State? Mike, you're on the hot seat. Go. Um, going with the Coastal matchup, because it's real easy to pick any number of games in the Atlantic Division. I'm going with a game in late September between Pittsburgh and North Carolina, because I think those are two teams that, hey, a little bit of a teaser, they could compete for a Coastal Division crown uh, later in the season, and this could be a huge game towards determining that. So I'm going with North Carolina and Pitt, a little bit under the radar, pretty easy to say, oh yeah, Clemson-Florida State, or... Louisville Clemson or Louisville Florida State, but I'm going with the Coastal Division game between North Carolina and Pitt. I think it should be a good one. Um, different styles of offense, obviously. Maybe more of a defensive battle. If it gets into more of a defensive battle and Pitt is able to stop North Carolina a little bit more than expected, I think the Panthers will have a great chance in that game. So um, I like that as the one game to watch in conferences here. Mike, can I give you one that's a little bit, a little bit out of left field? Might be a little bit. I don't know, maybe you could say it's unimportant really in the grand scheme of things, and yet I think it could be a really fun game to watch as, as far as we're calling exciting ACC matchups. Let's do it. The weekend before Thanksgiving, Miami travels to NC State in what could be, I, I, for whatever reason, that just strikes me as what could be kind of a weird, crazy game, is playing against NC State in Raleigh, you have Miami under Mark Richt getting, you know, towards the end of the year. Brad Kaya going, you know, towards the end of his junior year. All sorts of talent on Miami. NC State's tough to play at home. This game, by that point, could not really mean a whole lot of anything for conference, you know, championship matchups and such. And yet, could be a really fun game to watch. Is that crazy to think, Mike? Not crazy. I like NC State a lot. They're clearly the fourth best team in the Atlantic, which I guess really isn't saying much because you've got the three terrible teams at the bottom uh, with Wake, Syracuse, and BC, and then, of course, the three really good teams at the top with Florida State, Clemson, and Louisville in whichever order you choose. And then you got NC State kind of sitting there in the middle, but not to say they're short on talent. I mean, I think they're a very talented team. They've recruited really well there. So, no, I don't think that's completely out of – I mean, it's out of left field, I guess, if you're going to you know, talk about, oh, yeah, well, we got three or four marquee conference matchups, but what's one other game to choose? I don't think you're going crazy when considering the Miami-NC State game. It just feels strange that people are asking me for, like, marquee matchups, and I'm giving them teams that aren't Louisville, Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, Pittsburgh – um, and instead going for kind of a, a, you know, Miami and NC State. And yet, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, part of the thing that we kind of love and or hate about this conference all at the same time is the, the level of parity and the, just the the unpredictability that it can happen on a week-to-week basis. And so I think that's one that, you know, we might have a prediction going in on what's going to happen and just anything else might happen. I was going to say, so... You know, we can make a prediction. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, UNC Pitt, that's going to be a big game. Well, how big is it going to be if UNC and Pitt both start out with a couple losses? It's like, okay, great, Mike. You just picked a game against two teams that have two losses that were supposed to be pretty good, and now they're not. And now that's your game to watch for. Like, give me a break. Not unthinkable, um, by the way. It's definitely not. And so, you know, we've gone through the schedules, and there are definitely some losses potentially to be had here on whichever schedule you choose from. Um, 
but yeah, no, I, I mean, I think a lot of the parody in the ACC is what makes this conference hilarious sometimes. It's like, okay, like the Duke-Miami game last year, did anybody really think that that craziness at the end of the game was going to happen? Probably not. Um, but that's the way the ACC is. Weird stuff happens. So um, I, I don't think we're necessarily in the wrong with some of these predictions right now, but we definitely could be proven wrong here over the next couple months. I kind of just have a feeling that we are going to be at no shortage for candidates for Go ACC Moment of the Week. I'm glad we were able, already able to crown somebody, even if it was an off-the-field achievement. The problem is going to be finding something to bridge the gap between actual football and now. So you're, you're on the clock, rest of the conference. We'll see what you got. All right, next question. Shouldn't be, I was going to say it shouldn't be difficult. But anyway. Well, this is the <laughs> ACC, not the SEC, Mike, so... Yeah, it's true. Very true. We'll keep an eye out. <laughs> Very true. Next question, Mike. Predictions for the final ACC-SEC matchup record. And so, first of all, this comes from uh, user Intrect over at From the Rumble Seat once again. Uh, we have we counted, and maybe we're wrong, but we counted nine total matchups of ACC and SEC opponents. So we have Florida State and Ole Miss, Florida State and Florida, Clemson and Auburn, Clemson and South Carolina, Georgia Tech and Vir- uh, not Virginia Vanderbilt, v- Georgia Tech and Georgia, North Carolina, Georgia, Louisville, Kentucky, Virginia Tech, Tennessee. So we have a total of nine games between ACC and SEC opponents. And first of all, I think it's noteworthy that six of those are Florida State, Clemson, and Georgia Tech. Meanwhile, you know the rest of the conference combines for three total. However. This seems like a pretty manageable schedule for the slate of SE. Of, of SE. Damn. Mike, words are hard. Um, words are very hard. Words are hard here on this podcast. Uh, seems pretty manageable for the ACC teams here. I have eight and one. Is that unthinkable? Might um, be a little wishful. Okay, so a lot of this... It's hinging on opening weekend, admittedly. Um, North Carolina, Georgia, huge game opening weekend. Florida State, Ole Miss, huge game opening weekend. Clemson, Auburn, under the radar, big opening weekend. Um, you know, Auburn could be good or they could be really bad again. I mean, that's kind of anybody's guess at this point. Um, so I, I think that Clemson, Auburn game could be pretty interesting opening weekend. Not a lot of people are talking about it. Um, yeah, I'm going with 8-1, and one, but that's going under the assumption that Florida State somehow, with all the distractions, all the stuff that's going on, finds a way to beat Ole Miss. Um, I think Clemson will ultimately beat Auburn um, in a game that could be close or could be a blowout, and I could be completely wrong, who knows. Um, North Carolina-Georgia, I like the Tar Heels, that's three wins. Clemson and South Carolina... You know, hopefully South Carolina can score more than 10 points at that game. If so, they should leave happy. So I'd like Clemson in that one. That's 4-0. Florida State-Florida, very interesting game uh, to close out the regular season. Because I think Florida will be pretty good this year. Um, But I'm interested to see how Florida State performs. You know, if Florida State's as good as advertised, that game could be huge, Um, you know, come December. Um, Georgia Tech-Georgia. That's a very interesting toss-up game, but I think Georgia Tech's going to be a lot better. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Kentucky's the wake of the SEC, as you astutely pointed out last week, Joey, so I like Louisville. Virginia Tech, Tennessee. I like Tennessee in that game. And then Georgia Tech, Vanderbilt. I like Georgia Tech to win. 
I'm going eight and one with the only loss being Virginia Tech, Tennessee. However, I could see any number of different things happening there. Maybe six and three if Florida State might not be as good. You know, they could lose to Florida. Georgia Tech could go down to Georgia at the end of the year, and, and that could be another loss. But might be wishful thinking, Joey. I'm going eight and one. Only loss right now that I see is Virginia Tech, Tennessee, and we'll see if I'm proven wrong. Man, I I think for the first time in this podcast, I'm going to have a little bit of a, a pessimistic moment here. I think the ceiling on this set is probably about six and three. Wow. Yeah, not good. Uh, I think, like you said, Virginia Tech, Tennessee seems like a little bit of a lost cause for the ACC side of things. But beyond that, uh, I, I think Florida State Ole Miss with the last – week and a half or so of developments, what we've seen in the quarterback situation, that has become a very dangerous situation for Florida State. I'm not sure how confident I can be in picking that game for, for Florida State. Uh, North Carolina, Georgia, I have a lot of questions about Georgia, especially going into this year under Kirby Smart. I think they're getting a lot of hype that they maybe don't deserve. They seem pretty destined to be starting a freshman quarterback and all that, and that just seems very iffy, and yet North Carolina is starting a first-time starter at quarterback as well and, and is potential to be a, a very terrible run defense once again going up against your boy, Nick Chubb, uh, who is yeah, boy. arguably arguably the best running back in the country, which is not good uh, for, for a bad run defense like North Carolina. I could see that being a loss. Um, and so I think that maybe the, the toss-up game between 5-4 and four and 6-3 and three is Georgia Tech against Georgia. Um, again, I don't think particularly highly of Georgia going into this year. I don't think that there's some like 10-11 win team. I don't think they're going to go to the SEC championship game. But I think they're going to be serviceable, dangerous, you know, like an 8-9 win team. And so I, I don't know what to expect from Georgia Tech this year. We'll get into a little bit of expectations and win totals and such like that later. But ultimately, there are plenty of very losable games on this on this slate. I think that the ACC is going to come away with a winning record, and yet I can't make any promises on that, Mike. Fair enough, Joey. Um, I'm not high on Georgia either. They're one of the teams, if you follow me on Twitter, I marked Georgia as one of the more overrated teams in the country coming in at number 17. I guess it depends on your definition of overrated, but you know, coming in as an AP Top 20 team with the potential quarterback who's a freshman and a lot of question marks on the defensive side of the ball if I saw anything with Georgia last year is that you couldn't really rely upon them defensively they were pretty interesting to watch at times um, I think I think if you look at those two games of Georgia against North Carolina and Georgia Tech they could very very feasibly end up anywhere between 2-0 and and 0-2 in those games I agree um, I definitely agree and the North Carolina Georgia game I mean having that opening weekend, and Georgia is overhyped in my opinion. Maybe North Carolina is overhyped too, and maybe I'm just overshooting this thing, but yeah, I mean, I'm not real high on Georgia either. Um, Florida State Ole Miss, I get where you're coming from on the toss-up. I just really like Florida State's defense, and I like Dalvin Cook to carry the load in that game. That's why I'm confident picking Florida State, or, or I guess more confident than most picking Florida State, even though they've had a lot of distractions there. Um but I agree with you. I mean, I think Georgia is the one wild card here that's kind of going to throw the wrench in the whole thing when trying to pick records here is, you know, if Georgia's better or as good as advertised 
and they win both of those games against North Carolina and Georgia Tech, I mean, this thing could be completely flipped upside down and maybe go more of the 6-3 and three route or, or maybe the 5-4 and four route even for the ACC, depending on how you're going to look at it. So for what it's worth, I think we both pick Clemson to beat Auburn, Clemson to beat uh, South Carolina, Florida State to beat Florida, Louisville to beat Kentucky, and Georgia Tech to beat Vanderbilt. And so if those five things happen, that's a winning record for the ACC. Yep, advantage to our conference. So, go ACC. Uh, we'll, yeah, go ACC. So we'll see. Um, yeah, but I, I think I think four wins is probably a pretty safe floor at this point, given who's on the schedule, and that's being very conservative. And then anything more than that is gravy for the ACC. But, um, yeah, I think there's potential to be only one loss on the schedule, and that's Virginia Tech-Tennessee. I mean, I really like Tennessee in that game. I don't like Tennessee as a team this year. I think they're overhyped as well. This is an ACC podcast. We're talking about a bunch of SEC teams. Look at us go. Um, But I think Tennessee will beat Virginia Tech in that one. I'm pretty confident in that. So, um, sorry, Hokies fans. But, um, yeah, I I think a winning record for the ACC definitely isn't out of the question. And I think a ton hinges on that first week of Florida State, Ole Miss, Clemson, Auburn, and North Carolina, Georgia. That kind of might set the tone for the entire rest of the year. Absolutely. So a lot lot to watch in that ACC-SEC kind of matchup. There's several opportunities there beyond the four traditional Thanksgiving weekend games. Um, And yet it seems like the ACC is in good position going into this year. So time will tell how that turns out. we got to get to our last listener question here. Uh, The final one comes once again from Intrek, same from the last question. And this is a little bit of a non-football question, although I shouldn't label it as completely non-football because this is important, Mike. The question goes, what's a Southern sports podcast without tailgating advice from questionably qualified hosts? And I would emphasize the word questionably there. What are our favorite barbecue styles and our favorite beers? Mike, you're on the hot seat. Go. Oh, man. Favorite barbecue. God, this is anything, any sort of brisket is prime. Um, it depends on how you're throwing this barbecue. I mean, where it is is huge. I've gone to some crazy – there have been some crazy tailgates in the SEC where they do everything, man. The grilling is prime. Um, they barbecue legitimately everything. And then you've gone to tailgates maybe further north where college football – isn't as much of a party as it is in the SEC. And for those people, what the hell's wrong with you? Um, but, no, favorite barbecue, legitimately anything. Um, I know it's a lame answer, but um, I'm not picky. Uh, as far as best brews are concerned, um, I'll drink any beer on game day, but I'm also a mixed drink kind of guy on game day as well. Um, depends on, you know, what time of year it is. I mean, if we're talking like October, early November, getting a little crisp out, um, I could go with some bourbon, some whiskey, um, any sort of mixed drink like that, a little bit darker liquor. If we're talking more early September games, I could go lighter liquor maybe, but I'd try to stick to beer there. Um, but definitely when it starts to get cold out, nothing like a nice bourbon and Coke, Joey. Uh, right before a football game there in the winter months, uh, when it starts to get cold, especially coming from watching Virginia Tech play in Blacksburg um, over some of their worst seasons in the last 15 or 20 years. You better you better be tailgating well, um, especially if you're going to go watch a game where the Hokies are playing um, really terrible football in October, late October, early November. It's about 40 degrees in Blacksburg. Um, you got to stay warm up there in the mountains now, Mike. 
Yeah, you got to have that nice alcohol blanket on. So um, I'm all for the bourbons there that time of year. So uh, it's all it's all relative, I guess. So I got to say, first of all, I full uh, full admission here. I, I live in Texas. I have lived in Texas for about the last two and a half years. So I have learned all sorts about different styles of barbecue since I moved out of Atlanta. Um, that said. As you mentioned, any sort of brisket, any sort of sausage, any sort of pulled pork, I am I am all for it. Uh, barbecue sauce styles. This is where I am uh, embarrassingly underprepared. Is that I I cannot name like cities and how their barbecue is like <laughs> base, right? You know, so like you've got mustard based and vinegar based and ketchup based and blah 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 blah. And yet, like I can't, I can't combine those with like Kansas City and Memphis and et cetera. So I can't say um, I, I'm good for sweet barbecue. I'm good for spicy barbecue, et cetera. Um, ultimately, I, I love me some brisket. I love me some pulled pork. That is, uh, at any time of the year, I am all for it. I, I'm good for that. As far as brews. Uh, as you said, first of all, when it gets it gets a little chilly, I'm, I'm good for some some dark liquor and you know maybe some mixers and such as a tailgating beverage. Uh, one of my favorite things in college to do was on game day mornings do some mimosas. Obviously, with uh, the secret is to use orange and pineapple juice, not just orange juice. Uh, that was that was a big hit at tailgates, but. Ultimately, uh, I, I'm good for some big Atlanta beers. Uh, my, my favorite beer out of Atlanta is the Monday Night Brewing Drafty Kill Scotch Ale, which is dark and will keep you warm through those late cold games, uh, even deep into October and November. Um, so some of the darker ones as it gets colder, obviously, you know, as it's warmer, a little, you know, Sweetwater 420, maybe some of the, some of the light, lighter ones out of the south. But... Um, Tailgating is not a, uh, a completely non-football topic, Mike, and it's something that we could not possibly do this podcast without discussing. And so I think, I think maybe we should like in, in, like integrate some uh, some barbecue kind of tailgate segments into our weekly show. Yeah, I agree. We'll call it that's new to me, <laughs> and we'll just <laughs> every every week we'll come in from a different tailgate and say, you know what, that's new to me, and we'll just come up with a different. A different drink, um, something different that we've had at a tailgate that we might not have had before. Everything's fair game, Joey, so uh, the segments will take on a mind of their own as we continue to progress. Here. Hey, I'm fine bringing on guests that are good at beer and barbecue and all that. I'm good at you know doing whatever we got to do, taking pictures, getting on social media, doing whatever. So, uh, intro, great question. We love non-football, semi-non-football questions such as tailgating and barbecue and music and vacation spots and whatever you want to talk about so please again if you guys have listener questions you guys are wanting to hear us talk about whatever you want to talk about um you can hit us up on social media i'm at ftrsjoey on twitter he's at mike mcdaniel acc we are at bc podcast acc hit us on gmail at basketball conference podcast at gmail.com uh so please let us know what you want to hear us talk about but mike now that we're about 50 minutes into this podcast, we should probably get into the meat of what we wanted to talk about. <laughs> Whoops. Oops. Yeah, so uh, we want to really preview the season as a whole from the conference. We've, we've previewed each of the individual teams in the last several weeks with this podcast, but it's probably time that we talk about the conference as a whole and what we expect from it. And so I think we should probably start by talking about who we think will be the division champion 
for each of the individual champions. And so let's, let's start with the Atlantic, because I think this is a little more maybe obvious or predictable or whatever we want to call it. Mike, who you got winning the Atlantic Division in 2016? The Clemson Tigers will win the Atlantic Division, Joey. <gasps> um, yeah, shocker. Um, which means they'll beat Florida State in their head-to-head matchup. At least that's why I'm predicting now. Look, Florida State really like their team. Loved Alvin Cook as a running back. Loved their receiving core. Their defense is wildly underrated, maybe because they were so young last year um, and because they've struggled you know, in the past offensively. But Clemson, they have it all. They have a very good defense despite not returning a ton of starters. They're returning starters in some positions, well, a lot of positions that matter. Um, they got some really good young talent coming in. As depth options, they got the best quarterback in the country in Deshaun Watson. They have Wayne Gallman at running back, who's a 1,500-yard rusher. They're returning Mike Williams, one of the top receivers in the entire country, into the mix. They have Artavis Scott already, who was an all-ACC performer last year. Hard not to pick against Clemson. They have such a surefire option at quarterback that Florida State, I don't think we can confidently say they have at this point. Um, I think DeAndre Francois will be good, but I think a lot of what the defense does um, on, on the other side of the ball will dictate how much success Francois has if they put him into a lot of tough situations where Florida State's trailing. It's tough when you're a retro, quarterback, uh, retro freshman quarterback trying to come back from something like that. So I love Clemson. I love their offense. I love their defense. I love their schedule. Um, I, it's really hard to, to see them really losing a game unless they were to get upset at home against Louisville, which I'm not ready to pick. Um, I'm not sure you are either, Joey. The one game that's on everybody's radar is assuming that all goes according to plan is that October 29th game at Florida State. Tough game in Tallahassee. I'm picking Clemson to win that one on the road, go 8-0 in conference, um, and return to the ACC championship. So I like them to win the Atlantic. Can I give you, Mike, the the surprising like linchpin game that could create complete and total chaos in the Atlantic versus complete order now is this for is is this on Clemson's schedule this is no no no. it's not actually or just in general this is, this oh, is the really? entire okay. Atlantic division week three Florida State travels to Louisville I like it Louisville currently by Bill Conley's S&P plus numbers Louisville is a 46% win probability of that game so slightly worse than a literally coin flip and at that point if Louisville beats Florida State and if Florida State beats Clemson, and if Clemson beats Florida State, who boy, or excuse me, if if, uh, if Clemson beats Louisville, sorry, uh, if you've got like a triangle between those three teams, that could be a real mess in the Atlantic Division that comes down ultimately to probably college football playoff rankings, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that that is, obviously that three-way makeup is the, the, the trio of, the, the three premier teams in the Atlantic Division, I'm with you. I think Clemson ends up coming away victorious over those three, and yet I'm not going to be surprised if Clemson loses on the road at Florida State, and at that point, it depends on what Florida State does against the rest of their schedule. Yep, and it all comes back, I mean, I mean not from a conference perspective, but maybe from a college football playoff perspective, it's really going to come down to that opening weekend of Florida State-Ole Miss. If Florida State wins that game against Mississippi in the opener, 
all of a sudden you're looking at a real legitimate playoff contender, which they're already receiving the hype for anyway. Um, but look, I mean, if Florida State comes away and their only blemish is to Clemson, and that's going to and that could potentially be what keeps them out of the ACC championship, that could be a real shame for them as they could go on with one loss and maybe not even make it in the playoff. It's going to be that kind of season, potentially, for Florida State. Or all hell could break loose everywhere else and Florida State could still try to find their way into the college football playoff. We could get two ACC teams in there, potentially, if all hell really broke loose. So it's going to be interesting to watch for. There's a very real possibility that a team needs to go 8-0 in the Atlantic Division to have a clean entry into the ACC championship game in Charlotte. A 7-1 and entry might require a tiebreaker this year, given the, the level of those three teams are, and so time will tell how it goes. Mike, the Coastal Division seems a well, I shouldn't say a little more clear-cut, because it is in every way less clear-cut, but uh, if a team finds its way to 7-1, and it seems like a pretty clear ticket to Charlotte. And I think the team that's going to find their way to 7-1 and is the North Carolina Tar Heels. So you can call this a chalk pick. I mean, that's what it is. I pick Clemson in the Atlantic. I'm picking North Carolina in the Coastal. I love their offense, too. Um, I, I like Clemson's offense and defense more. But I like North Carolina's offense. Elijah Hood at running back, big-time player. A ton of really good playmakers at the receiver position. Um, oh, before I continue, one running back nobody likes to talk about, TJ Logan behind Elijah Hood. It's kind of the thunder and lightning aspect of that North Carolina offense, and Logan's going to play a big role for North Carolina this year as well. So I kind of like the two-head monster they have at running back. Love their receiving core. Their defense is really improving. they got some playmakers in the back end of the secondary. Uh, Des Lawrence and MJ Stewart, of course, we've referred to them in the in the preview for North Carolina that we did a few weeks back. Um, but I really like the Tar Heels. I think potentially the only loss on their schedule could be at Florida State. But they have a tougher road than most people expect. That game against Pittsburgh, like I mentioned earlier, on September 24th is going to be huge to whether or not North Carolina makes it out of the Coastal, obviously. Um, and if North Carolina goes 7-1 and one in their conference slate, you know, beating Florida State and having – having a victory against Pittsburgh the week before. I mean, I think that could go a long way to determining whether or not North Carolina makes it to the ACC championship game. But I really like the Tar Heels. I think a lot of teams in the ACC this year, if they go up against, are going to have a lot of trouble scoring with them. And I think that's why they're ultimately the team that will come out of the Coastal Division. Mike, we're going to disagree here. I'm taking the the Coastal startup, the Pittsburgh Panthers. Uh, nice. I... I think there's a lot to like about Pitt in year three under Pat Narduzzi here. Um, I, they, their schedule kind of cooperates. The biggest test is at Clemson, and I say test, I mean they're probably going to get slaughtered in that game. But other than that, in conference play, the only game in which they're not going to be favored in is at North Carolina. Uh, they should win a lot of their other games in this conference. And so I, I think there's a lot to like about Pittsburgh, especially on defense. Uh, I think that their offense is going to be – Good. It doesn't have to be great given what they're going to get on the other side of the ball, but somehow Pittsburgh sticks out to me as a team that is maybe going to surprise some people as, as be a potential double-digit win team. I, I think that they have a lot of potential uh, up there under Pat Narduzzi again in, in year three. Um, and so, year, wait, year three or year two? Uh, year two. Damn, year two. You're correct. Um, anyways... Um, <laughs> It really, I mean, Grant's game really doesn't matter. I mean, it's... 
<laughs> I mean, it's it's important for Pat Narduzzi to continue to establish the program. I mean, it doesn't matter year two or year three. I don't think it really makes that big of a difference given what they got returning offensively and defensively, Joey. Well, I sounded confident saying it, so that's what matters, right? Is <laughs> So, uh, James Conner coming back, obviously, Quadri Ellison at running back, Nate Peterman at quarterback. There's plenty of playmakers on offense. There's a lot to like about this Pittsburgh team, and that's that's who I'm going to go with. I think their their schedule kind of sets up nicely for them to win the Coastal Division. If they can go six and two, I think there's very much potential that other teams could drop games and go to five and three. Um, I, I don't know that you're necessarily going to have to go seven and one to cleanly win the the Coastal without a tiebreaker, but that's who I'm going with. So I, I've got Clemson and Pittsburgh going to Charlotte, and you, Mike, have Clemson and North Carolina? I do, in a rematch of last year's ACC championship game. Hey, totally fair. So now we talk about Charlotte. Who you got taking that game? Clemson. Um, and I, I think it's hands down. I don't want to say hands down because I could be completely wrong, but I think if Clemson gets in a matchup against anybody in the Coastal Division, um, I like the Tigers. I think their chief opposition in the ACC this year assuming quarterback play, you know, quarterback play notwithstanding, is Florida State. And I think if Clemson gets by them um, and is able to get by Louisville, which I think will be an, another tough test, but maybe not quite as tough of a test as, as Florida State, I think Clemson is a clear-cut winner if they get to the ACC championship game. I really like them against any team in the Coastal. And I'm right there with you. I think Clemson over Pittsburgh is, is my pick to win the conference again. Um, I, I think one of the big things about Clemson is that the way that their schedule sets up, this might sound a little homeristic, but I think that the second toughest game on Clemson's schedule might be going on the road to Georgia Tech on a Thursday night in September. I, I can't disagree. I mean, I think that's, that is that is going to be a tough game, a little bit under the radar for them, um, so I can't argue with you there. They have Louisville at home, they have Pittsburgh at home, and beyond that, I, I mean, I don't know how hard it gets for Clemson beyond going on the road to Florida State, and so... I think things set up extremely well for Debo Swinney's boys to go right back to that college football playoff and continue to prove that he is a really good head coach, Mike. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, yeah, he's a good head coach, but you don't want him coaching your receivers, that's for sure, Joey. I will say that they will not go back to the playoff on the back of Debo Swinney's offense. So <laughs> <laughs> deal oh, with it. Deal with it, Clemson Twitter. Okay, so, Mike, if Clemson is going to the playoff, in your mind, in, from the ACC, is that it, or is there anybody else, including that's including it. Notre Dame? Uh, that's it. I think uh, Notre Dame's got a really tough schedule. Um, there are a couple games in there they could potentially lose. I'm with you, Joey, in that I don't know if I want to pick one game that Notre Dame would lose in there, but I think one game that's kind of interesting to pick is that game they have at the end of the year against USC. Um, if they go into that game at Southern Cal on the road undefeated um, and Notre Dame wins that game, even without a conference championship, I think if you run the gauntlet beating a Virginia Tech, beating South, uh, Southern Cal, beating Stanford, beating Miami, it's going to be hard to keep Notre Dame out of the playoff. Um, I think Notre Dame's going to drop a game in there, and I think one game will be enough. If Notre Dame drops one, I think they're out. Um, I think it's going to be that competitive towards the top of college football this year. So with that being said, um, I really like Notre Dame um, to go ahead and end up um, losing one of those games, maybe just being on the outside looking in. But I think Clemson is the only team that will end up being the playoff entry this year. 
I think I'm with you, Mike. I think if we had done these picks about a week ago, I might have said something different. But I think the the fragility of the quarterback situation at Notre Dame right now, I I just don't know that I can say with a whole lot of confidence that they beat Florida State. Or that they beat, damn, words are hard again. Uh, they beat <laughs> that they beat Ole Miss. That they beat uh, UCF or damn South Florida. That they beat a whole bunch of people early in the in the uh, schedule before. They return Sean McGuire and Malik Henry, so uh, I, I just I don't know that I can put that much confidence in Notre Dame early in the schedule. Uh, and so, for that being said, I think I'm going to pick Clemson as the only ACC playoff entry, and I do think that they will get there, even though we are not necessarily guaranteed a, a conference champion to be into the playoff. And I was going to say quickly, do you have any other um, picks as far as who from outside of the ACC might be in? Oh, man. Uh, I think I would pick Alabama out of the SEC. I think that they're going to get there. For some reason, I can't get away from picking Michigan out of the Big Ten. I think that this is one of those years that people are going to be kind of annoyed, and yet Jim Harbaugh is going to say, like, scoreboard, uh, you know, they're going to want to not pick, you know, pick Michigan, but that's going to be ultimately an obvious selection. Pick number four, uh, Pac-12 versus Big Ten, or Big 12, technically. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that the, the fourth team is going to come out of the big, uh, the Pac-12 this year. I, I think the Big Ten is in a bit of a Big 12 that has 10 teams. I think the Big 12 that has 10 teams is going to have a bit of a transitionary year with uh, Baylor's, I think, is going to fall apart a little bit. I think Texas is still about a year away from really transitioning there, so... I think Alabama, Clemson, and Michigan are my three playoff picks for now, um, but we'll have to reevaluate this here in a couple of months. Yeah, and I was going to say I like Alabama out of the SEC, um, Clemson out of the ACC, obviously. I like Oklahoma out of the Big 12. Uh, I think the Sooners will once again be very good on offense this year. If their defense uh, plays up to par, I think they'll be right in the mix there at the end of the year. And a little non-conventional fourth pick. I really like Houston. Um, I'm pretty high on them this year. It's hard not to be high on Herman's offense. Um, I, I like the Cougars to potentially move into that fourth spot and maybe surprise some people, even though they're not from a Power 5 conference. I really like their chances this year, especially uh, given their schedule and um, the fact that they're going to be kind of on everybody's radar. So I think that will give them some more national recognition that I think could end up helping them towards the end of the season. Uh, even if their schedule may not be as strong as some of the other candidates. Man, you got to know that if that happened, that would find another like two or three extra gears on the Tom Herman hype train going into 2017. Yeah, he'll be heading somewhere else, I think, if that happens. I mean, you think Houston's a nice program. Uh, wait until you get into a Power 5 with Tom Herman. That could be dangerous. Something, somebody willing and able to write a blank check to Tom Herman, that would happen without a doubt. Whatever you want. Do you want a yacht? Do you want a mansion? Um, what do you want, Tom Herman? We'll give it all to you. Just say the word, and we'll write on this check, and we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll give you whatever you want. That's a possibility. Mike, Offensive Player of the Year of the ACC, there's a pretty obvious pick. Is that who you're going with, or are you going with somebody else? All right, Offensive Player of the Year, year, yeah, I'm going with Deshaun Watson, but I think if I had to maybe pick one other guy, this may sound a little bit homeristic, but I think Isaiah Ford of Virginia Tech, he's going to be one of the better receivers in the conference. Um, 
I would say best receiver in the conference, but there's a lot of talent on that Clemson roster I really like. Um, Artavis Scott and Mike Williams, of course. Um, North Carolina's got a ton of really talented receivers, but I like Isaiah Ford. If you want maybe another pick that's kind of flying a little bit under the radar, I like James Conner at Pittsburgh. He and Cody Allison, I think, are, be, are going to be able to split some carries this year. I think that could take a little bit of hype away from James Conner, but I really like him to come back, and he looks like he's close to 100%, which is pretty miraculous considering where he's been and where he's come from over the past year or so. So, um, yeah, but I, I think it, without question it's Deshaun Watson and everybody else. Mike, let me give you two more candidates for Offensive Player of the Year in the ACC. So the first one is going to be the quarterback of Louisville. That's one Lamar Jackson. I think that, honestly, he might be my overall pick for Player of the Year. And I'll tell you why is I think we go into year three of Deshaun Watson at Clemson, and I think that it becomes pretty obvious that he's the number one overall pick in the NFL draft next year. I think that he's proved everything that he wants to prove, and I think that some of his rushing numbers are going to start to decline a little bit. I think that they're going to sit there and make him pass a little more, make him hand off a little more, and try to put him in as little danger as possible, so to speak, uh, so that he's not you know, losing draft stock going into next year. Meanwhile, I think Lamar Jackson this year might be the year that he really starts to put up some of those video game numbers of 3,000 yards passing and 1,500 yards rushing or something crazy like that, just depending on what he does on a game-to-game basis. Uh, and so I think that that's maybe a little bit of a, a betting man's uh, smart pick on player of the year in the ACC. You know, Jackson's not going to be the favorite, but I think there's probably some value there if I had to guess. Uh, on player of the year in the, in the conference for the offense. But if I had to pick a, a complete dark horse that I think that nobody's talking about right now but has every bit of ability to win this award is Elijah Hood up at North Carolina. The running back, he is a seriously just crazy talented running back. Is, is dude's, a, dude's a stud, Joey. He's in, the, he's in a class of running backs right now in the country that is you know Leonard Fournette, Nick Chubb, uh, guys like this that are, are all-around backs, and Elijah Hood's right there with him. I mean, he can do it all. He can catch passes on the backfield. He can run it between the tackles. He can do everything. And so I think if you're looking for, again, another kind of dark horse, guy to keep an eye on as far as that ACC Offensive Player of the Year, uh, Elijah Hood feels like a pretty good option to me. I like both of those picks, Joey. I really like Lamar Jackson. You know how high I am on him. Um, I really like the Elijah Hood pick. That's flying under the radar. Uh, big time because if North Carolina wants to do or wants to live up to their potential this year, a lot of it's going to lean on that running game in Elijah Hood, especially with Mitch Trubisky coming in, first-year starting quarterback. They're going to lean on that running game. I like Elijah Hood in that offense. I like Elijah Hood in any offense, honestly, but I really like him in North Carolina's offense the way they scheme for him currently. And Larry Fedora is not going to be shy about giving him the rock and putting the ball in his hands whether it's running the ball or throwing the ball 30 to 40 times a game. So um, I, I really like that pick. I think that can definitely fly under the radar, especially if North Carolina lives up to the potential that they have as maybe repeating as Coastal Division champions. As the NFL goes these days, it's, it's becoming more and more rare to see running backs taken in the first round of the draft. And yet I think that the, the 2017 NFL draft could see as many as like half a dozen running backs taken in the first round. Guys like, again, Fournette and Chubb and – uh, Christian McCaffrey, guys like this. And, I, again, I think that Elijah Hood's right up there with him, a guy that is kind of a do-it-all, can pound it between the tackles, everything like this. And so I, th- I think he's a guy that is probably not getting enough attention right now for what he's able to do 
And like you mentioned, I mean, that situation at North Carolina, they're, they're going to a quarterback change is probably every bit of reason to lean on him as much as anybody else right now. And so look out for Elijah Hood. Might have a really, really good year for the Tar Heels. But as we look to the defensive side of the ball, Mike, does anybody stand out to you as a really obvious pick here for Defensive Player of the Year? I wouldn't say obvious, because I think there are a lot of good defensive players in the ACC, and any number of them could end up emerging as Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, I think that's kind of what we see every year in the ACC, especially on the defensive side of the ball. It could really be anybody that just kind of stands out, has the scheme and everything work, uh, and break right for them, and all of a sudden they have a huge year and end up separating themselves. But I think this is the year Devontae Fields finally, from start to finish, ends up realizing his potential at Louisville. Um, Obviously an all-freshman candidate, all-freshman player of the year um, in in the Big 12 with TCU um, a couple years back. We saw glimpses of what Devontae Fields should do on a regular basis last year for Louisville, especially towards the end of the season. Um, He ended up being honorable mention All-ACC last year. He led the country in tackles for loss with 22, and that was second most in a single season at Louisville in their history. Um, he had 10 and a half sacks, which led the team that was fourth in the conference as a whole. I think if you had to put your money on one guy in the ACC to be the guy that ended up winning Defensive Player of the Year, I think Devontae Fields is a pretty surefire candidate to consider, at least in the top two or three. Um, as far as other guys potentially consider, I think Ben Bulware. If you're going to pick a linebacker, I think he's a pretty safe bet at Clemson. Um, if you need a leader in the clubhouse from that regard, uh, Devontae Fields, I, I mean, he plays a little bit of linebacker, but he plays a lot of defensive end as well. Um, that does a lot of different things for that Louisville defense. Um, so, you know, Ben Bulwer is another nice candidate. And then I think if you're looking more in the secondary, I think Derwin James of Florida State's an excellent candidate as well. He's going to be one of the top defensive backs in the country this year. And, you know, if he, if he comes away with, you know, three, four, five, maybe even six interceptions, I think he's a runaway candidate to win the award. So I, I think it could be any number of guys, but I, I really like Devontae Fields. I like Derwin James. And then maybe a dark horse candidate is Ben Bulware or Clemson just because of, you know, what he does for the run defense there for the Tigers. What you might be surprised to find out is that Devontae Fields is the number two returning sack I guess number two returning sacks in the ACC. Number one at Pittsburgh, Ewan Price, I think has a sneaky potential. Again, a guy that people aren't really talking about as much, but had 19 and a half tackles for a loss and 11 and a half sacks last year. 11 and a half sacks, third in the in the uh, conference. Uh, very, very good defensive lineman for Pittsburgh. I think there's some potential there. His teammate also, I think, is worth mentioning is Jordan Whitehead. Uh, is the, the strong safety in that pit defense. 91 tackles, six tackles for loss, a pick, six pass breakups. A lot to like about Jordan Whitehead in the, safe, in the uh, secondary there at Pittsburgh. So I think there's a couple of guys there in that defense to watch out for. And the guy that I, th- I don't think you mentioned was Quinn Blanding up at Virginia. Had a crazy season last year. Uh, I believe he was a true freshman, if I'm not mistaken. And so... Lots to like about some of these defensive players in the ACC, although there's not really necessarily a clear-cut, obvious uh, front-runner for this award, Mike. Yeah, Jordan Whitehead's a nice dark horse selection. I didn't realize all the stuff you just said about Ewan Price. I didn't realize he was that high up on the board as far as sacks were concerned. Um, But he's a very good player on that Pittsburgh defense, and Pitt has a lot of them. Um, Jordan Whitehead... 
like you mentioned, did a little bit of everything as a freshman last year. Really enjoy watching him play football. Um, does a little bit of everything, not only on defense, but we've seen him play a little bit of offense. He has a hand in the return game, which I think may, you know, his role in that regard may expand now, especially with Tyler Boyd moving on to the NFL. Uh, so Whitehead is a kid that they're not going to be afraid to put in different situations there on offense and defense uh, for Pittsburgh. But I think defensively, he's a he's a pretty good pick as well to potentially become the defensive player of the year in the ACC. Mike, I was a little mistaken in saying that Quinn Blanding was a freshman last year. He's actually a sophomore. In his first two years at Virginia, over under 199 and a half tackles. What's your pick? Oh man, I'm gonna say over. You would be correct. He, in his first two years at Virginia, has 238 tackles. I was going to say he had one year, um, it was either last year or the year before as a freshman, where he went off and had like 120, 130 tackles maybe. Yeah, Quinn Blanding in his first two years in the conference has been in the top five in tackles both years. That is, yeah, the guy's, in, the, the guy's an animal in, against the rush, and he's very good against the pass as well. Yeah, unbelievable player. I think a guy you got to look at when you're looking at defensive player of the year. But like we said, lots of candidates there. There, there are a lot of guys to like, but maybe not necessarily an, an obvious front runner there. But, Mike, we need to move on to our last segment of the show here uh, before, we, before we head out. We want to look at, and now this is maybe more so me than you, but – a little bit of a de- degeneracy in, in gambling and, and all this. And so one of the things we want to look at is the win totals for each team in the conference uh, that I've seen posted for, from Vegas. And I should probably point out this is not necessarily from Vegas itself, but from Bovada, an online uh, betting service that sends us emails from time to time kind of pointing out what they've got their lines set at. They, they, they favor all of us degenerates, Joey. Oh, they sure do. They sure do. This is this is the content that we all uh, sit around bored at our jobs waiting to hit our inbox. But um, it's, So I want to start, and we'll go through these uh, in kind of in order of the most to the least win totals throughout the year. And for the most part, this should be considered kind of regular season win totals, although in a couple of cases they are regular season plus bowl game win totals. So we'll start with the, the most and go towards the least. So, so at the very top, we have Clemson with 11, Florida State also with 11, Louisville with 9.5. We go to the Coastal with North Carolina with 9, uh, Notre Dame with 9 as well, Pittsburgh with 8, Miami with 8, Boston College with 7, Georgia Tech 6.5, uh, NC State 6.5, Virginia Tech 6.5, Wake Forest 6.5, Duke 6, Virginia 5, Syracuse 4. And so, again, these are win totals on the year for all these teams in the ACC plus Notre Dame. If you had to pick one of these, Mike, on one of these teams that is going to go over their number or one of their teams that is going to go under their number, what's the one that you are the single most confident in of all of these teams? The under for seven for Boston College. Um, Georgia Tech and Ireland – you can say it's a toss-up because it's an opener. Georgia Tech's a much better team. Um, Boston College, I have a hard time seeing seven wins on their schedule. They play Clemson. They play at NC State at home against Louisville. They play at Florida State. They play at Virginia Tech. That game at UMass is no lock. Um, 
winning seven games means that they're going to have to defeat one of Clemson, North Carolina, Louisville, Florida State, and Virginia Tech. I don't see it, Joey. Um, I don't see seven there. I'm pretty confident taking the under. I think they could get to as many as six, but if this is just regular season win totals, I don't see seven in the cards for Boston College at all. Um, I think it's very difficult for them to get to that number. Mike, can I give you a bit of a homer pick here? Let's do it. Can I give you Georgia Tech over six and a half? No, I think I think you can. I, I'm going to be careful with how much I tell you here, but let's just say that I am currently invested in Georgia Tech going over six and a half wins. You're invested a little bit heavily. I, I am invested with more than zero dollars of Georgia Tech going over six and a half wins this year. Um, so I want to point out, I think that they start out 3-0 and uh, at Boston College in Ireland, so to speak, at um, against Mercer at home, against Vanderbilt at home. So I think they start 3-0. They have so they got to win three games in the rest of their schedule. Uh, four to go over, three to, right, four to go three over. to be bowl eligible. Yeah, the rest of the schedule October they have Georgia Southern, which is dangerous, but I think it should be a win. Two weeks later, after a bye week for their homecoming game, they have Duke, and then in November they have Virginia the week before Thanksgiving. To me, that screams. Six wins right there. I, I don't know that any of those teams will beat Georgia Tech this year. As as much as Duke has won two in a row against Georgia Tech, and Boston College and Vanderbilt have nasty defenses, and Georgia Tech was bad on offense last year, and uh, Virginia a little bit of the same, a really good defense. They beat Georgia Tech last year, all this. I have to look at that number and think that that's six wins right there. And at that point, all you got to do is you got to win one game against Clemson, Miami, Pittsburgh, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and Georgia. And somehow I just I just I find it hard to believe that Georgia Tech will go completely winless in that six game stretch that is kind of scattered throughout the rest of those games. And if they do go winless, I think it's pretty safe to say that Paul Johnson will be without a job at the end of the season because if that's the case and Georgia Tech limps home to barely getting that, that bull berth. Um, I think it's going to be a real issue for them. So I think the over 6.5 is pretty fair. Um, I think it's a pretty safe bet. They have to win only one of those games against those teams that you mentioned. Um, I, I'm on board with the over as well, but I think it's more of the potential for maybe seven wins is the floor. So I think it could be getting tight for you down, down, the, down the road here potentially. But as long as I get to seven, you're in the money anyway. So, um, no, I like that pick. Probably worth a weekly update on Joey's gambling success or otherwise, which, you know, probably more, more entertaining for the, the listeners than for me, but if I had to guess. but New segment. <laughs> New segment I do. Yeah. Uh, okay, so if I had to pick a team that was most surprising that I was going to pick over the win total, this this feels really weird for me because I did not pick this team to go any better than their win total, but the team that I'm going to stick with, I'm going to go over Clemson's 11 wins. And and I don't feel great about that because I never like picking a team to go undefeated, and yet uh, I, just, I don't see a scenario where Clemson wins less than 11 games. And, I, I mean, there's every bit of possibility that they win all 12, especially with a guy like Deshaun Watson at the helms. 
I like that pick, Joey. Um, but I guess if you had to have a surprising one to go over for me, it's another one that's kind of a higher win total. Um, I'm going with Louisville uh, over nine and a half, and I think that it's safer than you might think, Joey. Um, they have Florida State and Clemson. Those are two tough games, but that means that they have to beat the rest of the teams on their schedule, which, given the opponents they have this year, I think is definitely doable. The one game to watch for is one of my dark horse uh, college football playoff picks at Houston in late November. Um, that's going to be the one game that would be a toss-up that would put Louisville under nine wins, at least in the regular season. Um, but I like Louisville to take the over. I think they're going to lose to Clemson at least, and then potentially to Florida State, depending on how everything shapes out in Tallahassee. But I think that's the one team I'd take the over on as well. And I'm like you, you know, I don't like picking teams, especially with these really high win totals that are set before them, um, taking the over. But I, I like Louisville to only lose to Clemson and Florida State. Well, and, and what I said last week was I, I think it's a very conceivable outcome that Louisville loses to Clemson and then splits Florida State and Houston and wins the rest of them. And at that point, yep. they're 10-2. and two. And so, I, I mean, that's that's a very realistic scenario for the Cardinals up in Louisville. And, uh, you know, for them to finish number two in the Atlantic would be pretty shocking to some people, but I think pretty telling as well as as far as what kind of plane that Louisville is on versus Clemson and Florida State and everybody else in the conference. But if we had to pick a team that was most surprising pick to go under their win total, where are you at, Mike? Um, I'm going under four wins for Syracuse. And I, I like Dino Babers. I really like his offense. I think Syracuse is going to be a good team in a couple of years. I really do believe that because I think he can recruit. I really like his offense. He's done more with less at every program he's been at, um, coordinator or otherwise. But... When looking at Syracuse's schedule, um, they open up against Colgate, and like I said before, they'll beat Colgate, and then you look at the rest of their schedule, and it's like, okay, you have a game at Wake Forest in October that you could probably win, but where are the four wins? I mean, you're, you're playing against Louisville, South Florida, at Connecticut's not an easy game. Home against Virginia Tech, not an easy game. At BC, not an easy game, but one that you should win. At Clemson, um, not a winnable game. Home against NC State, in my opinion, not a winnable game. Home against Florida State, not a winnable game. At Pitt, not a winnable game. So I see at most three wins on this schedule, and I'm pretty confident in picking Syracuse at less than four wins, um, despite how low that number is. Mike, I'm kind of like trying to psych myself up mentally to bring on some Twitter hate here. Can I take under six wins for Duke? I think you can. I mean, I'm, I'm no, I'm no fan of Duke. Um, I think they're just, I, I mean, six wins is not a huge number to hit, and I think that Duke could hit it, but it's the same thing with Syracuse. I mean, how can you not pick a team to win four games? And it's the same sort of scenario with Duke. How can you not pick them to win six, especially coming off of a year where, man, they won their first bowl game in forever, right? I mean, that, that pinstripe bowl win was the first one they've had in a really, really long time for Duke. So under six wins with all the issues they're having on offense right now, yeah, I could I could buy that. The level of losses that they're sustaining on both sides of the ball, some of their best players on each side, obviously, you know, Jeremy Cash, uh, Thomas Sirk is in, in – injury kind of purgatory of what what he's going to be this year meanwhile 
I think they win against NC Central. I think they beat Wake Forest. I think they beat Virginia and they beat Army. But are you finding two or more wins out of at Northwestern, at Notre Dame, at Louisville, at Georgia Tech, home against Virginia Tech, home against North Carolina, at Pittsburgh, at Miami? Because I don't know that I see them winning any more than like one of those games, even as good as Duke has gotten at stealing some of these. I was going to say North Car- or not North Carolina, Northwestern and Virginia Tech, I think are two most likely that they could win. But if Virginia Tech's offense is as good as advertised, that won't be an easy game for Duke, who by all indications should have trouble scoring points this year. But they're consistently like a top five ACC offense, which is pretty scary. I think as good as Virginia Tech should be by November when this game is played, I, I think that their defense is going to be plenty good enough to contain whatever Duke is throwing out there on offense. And I have a hard time seeing Duke win that game. So, I, again, just with the way this schedule sets up, we've, we've made no bones about the fact that neither you nor I are big Duke fans. We are, we are self-professed Duke haters, frankly. And yet, I, I mean, just... Again, on an objective level, I don't see them winning six games this year. So I'm going under six wins for Duke. And Duke fans, if you're if you're mad on the internet about that, at me, you know, bring it at FTRS Joey on Twitter. Let's let's have a let's have a discussion about it. Yeah, that we're not shy about Twitter debate. So um, anything you disagree with, let us know because we'll bring the fire. I mean, it's not just on this podcast. We'll bring the heat on Twitter as well. Hey, those Clemson's, those Clemson fans found out on Friday that I am not afraid to uh, tell them exactly what I think of their coach. So you're not, you're not going to roll over Joey. That's for sure. Not at all. Okay. Mike, last thing before we get out of here, we got to pick our two teams, our two respective teams. We'll say on their win totals, I've already told you Georgia Tech, I think, is going over six and a half wins. Virginia Tech, over under six and a half wins. Notre Dame, over under nine. If you had to put your money on it today, where are you going? I wouldn't want to put my money on either of those win totals for Virginia Tech or Notre Dame. Maybe it's because I'm a homer. I like Virginia Tech to go over six and a half. Barely. Um, like seven. Like seven. Yeah, like seven. Um, I think going to a bowl game with seven wins, maybe winning your eighth in a bowl game is, is something I could see happening given their schedule, but I can't trust anything the Hokies have done offensively or defensively of late. Hopefully that changes with Justin Fuente. Notre Dame at nine wins. God, that's a great line. That's even for me. I mean, I, I wouldn't take the over or the under on that. Um, but if gun to my head, had to pick right now, I'm going with the over for Notre Dame there just because I think if they do lose, it'll be maybe two games. And with that, you're 10-2 and two going into a bowl game. Um, I don't know. It's just it, it's tough to pick either of those lines. But I'm going the over on both of them if I absolutely had to. Um, Notre Dame on talent alone, I think, gets them nine. And then, um, you know, that means that they have to win one of USC, Stanford, Miami, um, Virginia Tech, and they can't stumble against Texas in the opener. You win one of the, or I guess two of those games, um, you're a pretty safe bet throughout the rest of your schedule if you don't get upset. So I like Notre Dame over nine. I like Virginia Tech barely over six and a half. I like them to get seven, um, but I'm not confident picking anything higher than that, at least in the regular season. 
I'm right there with you. I think if I had to put money on Notre Dame, I'd probably put it on the over just in that there's a little bit of a safety blanket knowing that the number is nine in that if they hit nine right on it, uh, you, you keep your money. But if you go over that, yep. if they win 10 or more, I mean, you, you make your money back. So uh, I, I think that nine is fairly safe for Notre Dame, as it were. You may not win money off of that, but it's it's kind of safe. Uh, Virginia Tech, probably a lot to like there about going over six and a half. Um, I've already told you that I am, I again, am invested in Georgia Tech going over six and a half wins. I feel pretty confident that that team is being underrated right now by the public. Don't lose to BC in that opener. Oh, man. I will be there. I have also spent quite a bit of money on a foreign vacation to see that game. So here's to hoping it's a fun vacation. Uh, um the, the, the Louisville line, myself, uh, at nine and a half, this is a really good line, I think. There is every, there's every bit of reason to think that Louisville could lose three games. Obviously, Clemson, Florida State, and Houston, just with the way that their schedule sets up. Uh, but again, I'm with you where I, I think, as I said last week, if they can split Florida State and Houston, that's a 10-win team you go over. And so I, I think I very tentatively want to go over on nine and a half for Louisville, but uh man, this is not one that I would recommend. You know, putting money either way on. I would I would recommend staying away from that if you are a, a betting individual. Yeah, I think the safest pick on this entire board here is BC under seven. <laughs> I mean, if you had to pick, if you had to pick one, absolutely. My boy Dan Rubin, I know you'll be listening to this podcast. I'm sorry, but there's no way Boston College wins. Even in your wildest dreams, there is no way Boston College wins seven games this year. Not a chance. You can mark that down. And we'll replay this when they get to eight and four. And we can talk about it then because that would be the surprise of the year. There is no way they get seven wins. I have a feeling that the podcast in which we talk about Boston College going eight and four it's the same podcast in which we were like reviewing the four different beers that we're drinking during that podcast. I was going to say, and happy 40th birthday, Joey, because that's not going to happen in the next 15 years. I don't think there's a chance. Boston College, are you kidding me? Seven wins? No way. I'm trying to pull up their schedule right now. Is there any conceivable way in which Boston College goes 7-5 and five this season? Uh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll help you out here. Let's see, Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech, UMass, Virginia Tech, Wagner, Buffalo, Clemson, Syracuse, NC State, Louisville, Florida State, Connecticut, Wake Forest. Oh, Mike, I guess if they go, like, fourth, uh, if they find a way to beat NC State and maybe go fourth place in the Atlantic, I mean, out of conferences, UMass, Wagner, Buffalo, and Connecticut. So, maybe not impossible? I just don't think there's any way. I mean, they're going to lose to one of them, aren't they? Theoretically, but, I mean, none of them are particularly, like, daunting. I mean, again, UMass, which was bottom five program in the entire country last year. Wagner is an FCS team that I think Boston College's offensive all teams scored, like, 70 points on last year. Buffalo has not been the same since Khalil Mack left, and UConn is... Nowhere near as good as they probably should be. Not that they should even be that good. Uh, I mean, that seems like four free wins, and then you got Wake Forest and Syracuse, and maybe still one somewhere else. We, it's not impossible that in a few months we're living in a world where Boston College is a seven-win team, Mike. 
it might happen. I just have no confidence in the offense as long as Steve Adazio's coaching there. I'm sorry. I just have – oh, man, there's just no way. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, Joey. I don't know. I, I just – maybe I'm a hater. I just – seven – God, there's no way. I, I just don't – I don't see it. I, I think they'll drop one of those non-conference games. They'll find a way. I mean, I've – after watching a Wake Forest game last year, I'm not surprised by anything Boston College does, especially on offense. I just don't think there's any way they get seven wins. I mean, I've, I haven't seen an offense worse than theirs, maybe ever, than the one I saw last year. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe in a couple of years we'll get to seven. I think maybe I was a little bit harsh when I said, yeah, Joey will be 40 and we'll still be doing the podcast. And it'll be 15 years from now and Boston College will just then get to seven wins. Maybe that was a little harsh, but... Um, I don't know. I, I just don't see seven wins for BC this year. Can I give you the free square on the board, Mike? Let's do it. Over under 84 and a half scholarship dudes at Boston College. Oh, God. Way under, right? Way over. Every, way everybody over, really? is a dude at Boston College, Mike. <laughs> I was going to say, way. If you had to pick one school where they didn't have uh, 84 scholarship players, I'd be like, yeah, Boston College, Wake Forest. Oh, if they find a way to use um, all 85 of those scholarships, they easily have over 85 scholarship or 80, 84 and a half scholarship dudes at Wake Forest. Damn, Boston College. Words are still hard. Schools, An hour and 20 minutes hard. of this podcast. So, <laughs> Words are hard. Schools are hard. Um, that's why we have next week's podcast, too. But hopefully people listen to this one. I think we did pretty well overall. Yeah, I think it's probably time to get out of here. Anyways, Mike, this has been fun, as always. We have one last episode before the actual season starts, and that's the episode we're going to use to actually preview week one. So we're going to start talking about some real football. One week from now, we're we're real close. We're going to start trying to maybe work in some guests here and figure out, uh, get some maybe some more individual team perspectives here. But uh, time will tell kind of what we have available to us. But, Mike, you down to do this again next week? Uh, yeah, like I am every week, Joey. Uh, I'll talk to you next weekend sometime. We'll release this to the public the following week. We're gearing up, guys and girls, whoever's listening to this podcast. We're gearing up. It's almost football season, finally. Hell yeah, it's about time. So for any of those listening, uh, my name is Joey Weaver. I'm here for Mike McDaniel. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on email. Uh, anywhere else you can find us. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play Store. But until next week, when we preview week one and talk about actual football, Mike, go ACC.